For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you all may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. That's just one passage. Ephesians chapter 3. But think about all of the promises in that passage. Think about the promise that you can grasp how wide, long, high, and deep the love of Christ is, and that you can know that love that surpasses knowledge. This is not theoretical. This is experience that he's talking about here. Imagine that you can be filled to the measure with the fullness of God. You and I were created in the image of God. We fell, we sinned, but the promise is there. You can be filled with the fullness of God, something from within, life in its purest and most essential form. Think about that. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within you, he can do more than all you ask or imagine. What can you ask and imagine? And think about that. That is a promise. That is a promise. And yet too often we see in our lives that we're not experiencing these things. And these are just some of them. You know, it's an interesting thing. My home has a lot of power in it. Con Edison has been nice to me. They keep sending the juice my way. But you know what? I can sit in a dark house. I can have all the power in the world, but if I don't put it into practice, I'm in a dark house. And there have been times in my spiritual life where I've been in a dark house. It wasn't that I lacked the power from God. I just wasn't using it. I wasn't turning it on. I wasn't flipping the switch. And so then I have to go through all these mental gymnastics about why that is. Well, we're all weak. Yeah, that is so well-worn and overused. You know why the scriptures have been given? That you would not stay weak. That I would not stay weak. Well, if only my wife, my husband, my kids, my job, if only that would change. Guess what? That may never change. But who will you be? But sometimes we let that keep us from flipping on the switch. All of these promises. And all we can do at best is hear about God loves you and it means nothing, really, on an experiential level. We can hear about the fullness of God, but it doesn't mean anything. And yet, 
We are the people of the promise. This is our inheritance. This is our birthright, is to live these promises and experience them. God is our portion of our heart forever. You know, we have always been, God's people have always been people of promise. They lived their life based on His word and His promise. Sometimes that didn't go so well. Sometimes they forgot to flip on the switch and take hold of the promise. And things happen. When you look over Joshua chapter 1, I'm sorry, Joshua 3, but let me tell you, what's happening here is we have people of promise. People that have now come to a land that's been promised to them. Now this isn't the first time this has happened. About 40 years before, the older generation of this people came to the same land. They came to the very edge of the same land, and yet, with all of the promise, with all of that, they did not enter. Why? They didn't take hold of the promise. Anytime you don't take hold of the promise, what happens? All of the obstacles loom larger than they really are. The second time in Joshua 1, now when the people come, guess what? All of the obstacles are still there. They're still there. The obstacles have not gone away. God did not make them disappear. But what they need to do is spend 40 years in a desert reinventing their faith in God Almighty. And a new generation would come up that would believe Him and take Him at His word. That would look at obstacles and say, so what? Sometimes I look at my life and I say, you know, I'm not this type of person, therefore I can't do this. Hey, I'm not gifted in, in every way. I'm not gifted in certain things. There are things that I don't have the gifts and ability to do. But to experience the fullness of God, that's my birthright. To know the love of Christ, that is my birthright. To have power that I change my character, that is my birthright. That I can do. That has been promised to me. I just got to take hold of it. And so, in Joshua chapter 3, we have the children of promise come to a land that God says it's going to be theirs. There are all these obstacles in that land. just doesn't matter because they're focused on God. But they're going to have to learn something that the previous generations didn't learn. You know, it's interesting. Previous generations were led by God, were sustained by God, all the way to the promised land. But they didn't go in. Why? You know, it's an interesting thing. It's, it, it's wild. We've got to watch our hearts. Sometimes we get these promises and we allow God to lead us and sustain us, but then we get entitled. And you read the history there in Numbers and, and in Exodus and what happened to these people. God did amazing things. When was the last time you were amazed? He did amazing things, brought them out, promised them, sustained them. There were obstacles all the way, and they went right through them. But all of a sudden, things started to happen. You know what started to happen? They got entitled. Well, you're so great a God. Why don't you do this? At least we had this back in Egypt. And all of a sudden, there's this entitlement. It's like, okay, God, you're going to make me a promise? Then make it easy. Easy is overrated. 
Easy is not available in a fallen world unless you give up. Unless you've just become a prisoner there, then it's easy. But that's not us. We're people of that promise. And I want us to learn some things. You know, it's interesting. When I talk about we need to redo our small groups and things like that, there's almost like a gasp. Oh, no. What's going to happen? And I've had people come up to me and, okay, Sheridan, what's, how's this going to be? Oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen? You're going to be a Christian. Yep. <laughs> now, if that's news to you or a surprise, then you and I need to talk a little bit more, okay? You're going to be a Christian. You're going to fulfill the promises that have been made to you. That's what's going to happen. This is not something that, oh my gosh, you cannot do. It's beyond you. No, you will fulfill your birthright. I will fulfill my birthright. That's what's going to happen. But before that can happen, something else has to happen. And let's look at our brothers and sisters of promise of old, and let's learn something from them. Joshua 3. They're going to go into the land. This is a new generation full of faith. Verse 1, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who were Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. They've never crossed over the Jordan. He says, look, I'm going to send the Ark of the Covenant first. Why? Because God always goes first. The Ark of the Covenant, this little box that contained, you know, uh, Moses' budding rod and contained the Ten Commandments, all of that. But it was more than that. It was the symbol of God's very presence with his people, the people of promise. And he says, this is going to go first. And that way you'll know which way to go. Then, uh, but keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark and the, of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people so they took it up, and they went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, When you reach the ed of, edge of Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. They all had the last, same last name there. <laughs> See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from each of the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off 
and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage, all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water's edge. The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. People of promise are now into the promise. But before they could do that, they had to consecrate themselves. And what did Joshua say? You've got to consecrate yourself, then you will see amazing things that the Lord will do for you. Sometimes when we look at our lives, we look for amazement all over the place rather than within. But what does that take? It takes first consecration. And what do we mean by consecration? It means to separate yourself unto God, to prepare yourself unto God. God didn't just say, okay, guys, I've led you all these 40 years. Just get on in there. He says, be ready, be prepared, consecrate yourselves to do this. Then you will see amazing things. In all that we're going to strive to do here and all that we want to change and become and individually, I pray for each one of us to experience powerfully the promises we read about in Ephesians 3. I don't want anyone to ever sit here and be a spectator. I want you to be involved in the renewal of your heart and your mind by the Spirit of God. You were created to live the life of God. You were created to experience that. But before you can really give full vent, before you can do that, you've got to turn on the power. How do you do that? You've got to consecrate yourself. You've got to stop right now and devote yourself to God. Real quick, consecration. What does it mean? Three things. Number one, it is a conviction about your belief in God. Nobody consecrates themselves. Nobody stops and evaluates their life and says, this needs to change. I want to clean this out of my life so that I can be clean for you, Lord. Nobody does that if they don't believe. If you don't believe, you won't do that. Your very life is a statement about who God is. My life is a statement about who He is. Is He powerful? Is He the King of all? Is He the Creator of all? If so, I live like that, and I make sure if there's anything in my life, I get it out. It is a statement about Him. How many people here like going to the circus? You like going to the circus? Okay. All four of us like going to the circus. All right. How many people like watching someone on a tramp, trampeze? Right? You go in and doing all that and the, the uh, uh, somersaults they do and the flips and they catch each other. Now, I want you to know something. When you are watching that, that's an amazing thing, right? But you know how they were able to do that? 
They spent hours practicing that over and over and over again, and they failed at it a lot of times. But why weren't they afraid? Because they had a safety net under there. And that safety net allowed them to risk everything to learn how to do these triple somersaults and grab one another. Because they knew if I fall, I'm going to be okay. It will just allow me to get back up and do it again until I master this thing. God is our safety net. God is the one that allows us. That's right, Blake. I'm coming at you right here, all right? God is the one that, that allows us to be able to risk. We don't have to live lives of fear and doubt. How many of us are held hostage by certain sins in our life that we're so afraid to open up about because we may be rejected. We may, all of this stuff that comes from nowhere, we don't confess them, so we stay in bondage to them. When was the last time you just felt free to get your resentment right with a person? I don't care what they think of me. I don't care if it seems childish. I've been none of that because, see, I got a safety net. I'm with God. <laughs> I'm with God. I belong to Him. So, brother, sister, I am so sorry I've had these attitudes in my heart towards you. There's no excuse for it. And I want to build from there. When's the last time we did that? How about honesty? Are we in bondage to deceit? Boy, if someone finds out about my finances, if someone finds out about lies I did on the job, if someone finds this thing out, and you become bondage, all of a sudden, you don't know. You are afraid because they might find out, and you end up invariably having to be more deceitful to cover it up. See, God's my safety net. I can be open about anything, no matter what the cost. You can be open about anything, no matter what the cost. But what if I lose everything? Who's your safety net? You'll be okay, right? You know, when Jesus said, seek first kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you, he did not say that to an affluent neighborhood. He said that to farmers, to shepherds, to working people who were one, you know, crop failure away from destitution who were one Roman invasion away from losing everything. That's what he said. It's kind of like, you know, seek first kingdom. is like, are you serious? Be realistic, Jesus. I'm hanging on a thread here. So the real question is, who's your safety net? He told that rich young ruler, sell everything you have, come follow me. That is the most irresponsible thing in the world if there is no God. But who's your safety net? I consecrate myself. You consecrate yourself because of who God is. We can seek first the kingdom. Our jobs don't dictate our lives. God dictates our lives. Our struggles don't dictate our lives. God dictates our lives. Seek first his kingdom and all these things will be given to you as well. It is our God. That's why I consecrate myself. Secondly, consecration is an action. Two things we do as people of the promise. Look at Romans 12, verse 1. Romans 12. We worship and we renew. Worship and renew. Therefore I urge you, verse 1, 
Brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. If I consecrate myself, two things got to happen. My worship, which is a wholesale surrender to God. Everything I am, I hope to be, that's the only acceptable worship to God the Almighty. I am a living sacrifice. Use me, whatever you want, God, I belong to you. And being willing to change. Renewal of my mind, being transformed. I am willing to change my mind about things. As long as it's in accordance with God's will, I am not in any way interested with staying still or with holding on to my own opinions and ideas if it goes against what God has said. I want my mind to be renewed. If I'm not willing to give everything to God, if I'm not willing to change my thinking, guess what? I can't consecrate myself. That is consecration. Consecration is not just a state of being. I'm consecrating here. It's actually doing something. Actually giving of your life to God. Is there anything else that you feel like you're holding back on? Well, I've been disappointed, so you're holding back. Make it about God, not about people. Is there anything you're holding back? I don't think I can, you know, help around here. No, no, no. It belongs to God. Everything. Renewal of mind. I have no interest in Sheridan Wright being the same way he's always been. I don't have any interest in stopping at all. Nothing ever good for me ever come, nothing good ever comes to me from standing still and not growing. So I, my mind always has to be renewed. Once I get to a certain place spiritually, now there's a danger of me taking that for granted thinking I'm doing it. So I need to always be renewed. What else can I learn? What else can I learn? I'm not Jesus, so there's a lot for me to learn, right? But if I'm not willing to change the way I think, guess what? Can not learn. And if I cannot learn, I cannot consecrate myself. If I cannot consecrate myself, I have all these promises, but won't be able to take hold of them. It's active. Be a living sacrifice. And lastly, what is consecration? Consecration is a statement of difference. See, I'm consecrated to God but I'm consecrated from the ways of the world. I am different from the world. Now, this is what gets really challenging. A lot of times, we don't embrace the difference. We get afraid. We want to be accepted by the world. And so if you look at, a, at someone claiming to be a Christian, someone claiming to be an atheist, you don't see a whole lot of difference except how they spend Sunday morning. That's the only difference. That's not consecration. Do you know what? Being consecrated doesn't mean I'm a good neighbor. I think that's part of it. But guess what? An atheist can be a good neighbor. An agnostic can be a good neighbor. A Hindu, Jewish person. I mean, I have a lot of these people, and they're good neighbors. I trust them. So being a Christian doesn't mean, well, I'm trustworthy, therefore I'm a... There are a lot of people that are trustworthy that aren't Christians. So what in the world is the difference between me and them? Oh, I must be smarter. No, that's not true. 
That's not true. I can scientifically prove that one, you know? Not smarter, not better looking, not more talented, not more rich, not more anything. So what is the difference? Three things I've found that differentiate me from all other religions and philosophies. Number one, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. No atheist says that. No Hindu says that. Or Muslim, or Jewish, or any, you know, I'm different. I believe it, and I live that way, okay? Number two, I believe that everyone ought to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. No atheist evangelizes for Jesus. No Jewish person evangelizes for Jesus. Or Muslim person evangelizes for Jesus that he's the Son of God. None of them do that. That's a distinguishing mark of me, right? And then thirdly, I believe that everyone that claims to be a Christian must follow Jesus. Not an option. You can't sit here and do nothing. I believe that. No atheist will do that. Atheists will say, you know, Serena, you're a Christian. That's good for you. And whatever's good for you, you do your thing. And we'll let Nick do his thing and Ricky do it. It's all good, folks. I don't believe that. I believe if Osorena says I'm a Christian, I believe, okay, Osorena, I want to see it. Nick, you say you're a Christian? I want to see this. Tim, you claim you're a Christian? I want to see this. And then why don't I expect that? No Hindu expects that. <laughs> they don't care. It, is Tim becoming more Christ-like in his attitudes, in his heart? Why did he say that? I would follow up with that. See, that's what makes me different. That's what makes you different. So to consecrate ourselves, we've got to be different from the world. Not better than, not haughty. But man, if we're not different, guess what? Something is broken on the inside. Jesus is God. I believe everyone needs to believe that. And I work to do that. And I believe if anyone says I'm a Christian, they need to follow Jesus. So I will expect that. And you ought to expect that of me. Consecration. I personally feel that 2020 is going to be a great year for us. Here's the thing. We start with a really good baseline, folks. You know who the baseline is? Us and God. We can't lose on that. We have done so much. We have taken care of each other. We have grown in a lot of different ways. But there are things that we are missing there are things that are not happening. And it comes down to some of those things that make us different from everyone else so that we can kind of end up being like good religious folk or good atheist folk or something like that. But we are people of the promise. And we need to be committed to being those people of the promise and letting God's promises come out in our lives. We're going to take the communion now. You and I get to find all of the yeses in our promises through Jesus. It's not always easy, but the life he gives us is rich. And it's a life of promise, and it's a life of experience. Let's take hold of that as we take the communion. Father, I pray more than anything else that we will just love you. And love your son Jesus, and love the Holy Spirit. Father, this bread 
this fruit of the vine. We thank you for it. We thank you for what they represent. But more than anything else, Father, please help us as we take this time to think about our lives, to recommit our lives, and to consecrate, to separate ourselves to you and from the ways of the world. And that will allow us to love you more and allow us to love each other more and allow us to love everyone in the world more. Everything comes from you, Father. We thank you for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.